All right, guys, welcome in to today's episode of the Southeast News Podcast. It is Tuesday, December 17th, 2019. On today's episode of the podcast, our interview with Arkansas head coach Eric Musselman, who joined us on the Marching to Madness podcast to talk about his team here through uh, the first 10 games of the season. Uh, as always, if you're a new listener to the podcast, I do also host uh, the Marching to Madness podcast, uh, where we interview coaches all around the country, and uh, I always share them here on the Southeast News podcast for the SEC audience, of course, uh, if they are SEC-related. And so uh, we always do that. Uh, you guys, I know some of you may not subscribe to both. Uh, certainly, if you love college basketball, you should. Uh, but if you only subscribe to this one, I always uh, repost that interview uh, here on this podcast as well. That way, none of you guys miss it. Uh, So we did catch up with him uh, to talk about the Razorbacks. Also going to go into uh, the net rankings a bit uh, a little later on in the episode to kind of give you guys some early thoughts. Uh, The first uh, edition of the NCAA's net rankings were released on Monday. Uh, Not a ton of takeaways since we're only, you know, 10 or 11 games into the season for most teams. Uh, But we'll kind of give you guys a little bit of insight uh, on that here moving forward. But before that, uh, we will go into the interview with Eric Musselman, who uh, talked about a lot of different things uh, for the Razorbacks. Certainly, they got a big win uh, on last Saturday. They beat Tulsa. Mason Jones uh, had 41 points in that game. Did so many things well. He went into that a bit, talked about just how Mason Jones has sort of acclimated to his role uh, and what's been a different role for him, sort of playing at the, at the four spot quite a bit. Uh, so he mentioned that and really how other players are playing in different roles. And, and we, I've said this many times with Arkansas. We, we said this going into the season because, you know, it's a team that's going to play a lot of guards because really when you look at their rotation, um, they're, they're pretty much starting 6'6 or smaller. So you have four guards on the court at the same time. And so that does kind of move some guys into different positions and all that. And I thought he, he added some, some really good insight into how his guys have maybe acclimated to these new roles and how they're thriving in them because, again, they are 9-1 and one and uh, they're playing pretty well. So we touched on that, uh, talked about their defense, uh, Arkansas in the top 10 in the nation in several key defensive categories, and they just continue to, to play really well on that side of the court. Uh, specifically from the perimeter. They're in the top three nationally, I believe, still, uh, as I'm recording this, um, in the the nation in three-point field goal percentage defense. So they're just doing a really good job on defense. That's helped them get these these nine wins thus far, and and that's been a big part of their success, without a doubt. So we went into that, uh, just touched on maybe their their plan here as they move forward. Kind of an interesting schedule set up for them. If you go back to their game on December the 7th, uh, which was uh, the one that they lost to Western Kentucky. And then they had the one against Tulsa. Now their next game will be on Saturday against Valpo. And then they won't play again until the next uh, Sunday against Indiana. So really four games in a span of 22 days for them. So a little bit more you know, time for him, as he says, to really develop his players and make it all about development uh, throughout you know, their off time where they're not playing two or three games a week here. They're, they're pretty much playing one game a week uh, for four weeks straight. So he went into the process of that, uh, how – you know, he, he likes to approach that as a coach, what he really wants to focus on here with his team as they get ready for that game against Valpo on Saturday. So uh, let's go ahead and jump into the conversation with Arkansas head coach Eric Musselman. All right, guys, welcome back to the Marching to Madness podcast. Uh, we're excited to welcome back Arkansas head coach Eric Musselman. Coach, uh, great to catch up with you as usual. Our first time catching up with you actually during the season 
And uh, you guys off to, to a pretty good start here. We're talking to you on Sunday, and you guys get a big win against Tulsa there at home on Saturday. Uh, just a, another, you know, really good win for your team. And I know what everybody's kind of talking about, the takeaways from that game. Uh, Mason Jones goes for 41 points. But it, for me, watching that game, it wasn't just the scoring. That's a that's a prolific scoring performance, but he did so many things well for you guys in that game. How has he continued to develop uh, so well there for you? Well, you know, Mason's a guy who obviously is a, a big shot maker for us. He's a guy who can knock down three balls. And he, he's a deceptive player off the bounce. Uh, we've kind of put him in a lot of different situations. He's uh, started the year off where he was a screen setter and, and – uh, and would pick and pop and, and utilize his three-point range. And, and now he's kind of evolved into a player that we actually put into pick and rolls with him as a ball handler. So he's got great versatility, um, you know, and he's, a, and he's kind of a mismatch problem. He's a natural small forward slash off guard that we're playing at the power forward spot. So every night he, he usually has an has a advantage with his speed and quickness at that power forward spot. Although at times, it, you know, it, 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 we got to we got to deal with the rebounding at the other end as well, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you mentioned that you know talking about Mason playing in a spot like that, and you know there's some other guys having to to step into different positions, maybe that they're not exactly familiar with before. And you sort of talked about that going into the season when we talked beforehand. Um, just getting these guys to sort of thrive in in what are maybe different roles for them that they're used to. How have you seen really, you know, we mentioned Mason, but really just this entire team sort of embrace uh, some of these early roles that they've had, maybe in different spots than they're used to? Yeah, you know, I just think that, you know, they've, they've had an open mind uh, to the way that we're going to have to play. We, we discussed, you know, our roster and makeup of our, of our, of our team uh, early on when we got together, even in the summer. And, you know, Jimmy Witt's our starting point guard, although in most of our offensive sets, Jimmy's playing – uh, what I would normally have in past years as, as the spots where our center plays. So uh, he roams the baseline and, and he plays in the middle of the zone offensive attack. And, and he's around that, what we call our dunker spot more so than our centers. even. And we've talked about Mason playing the power forward and Isaiah Joe, you know, in my mind is really a, a two guard slash point guard and we have him playing the three, and sometimes when Mason comes out, Isaiah moves to the four spot. Um, and then Jimmy Witt sometimes, you know, will even play the, the three for us offensively when we have Desi at the two and, and, and Shalen Harris at the one. So uh, we just want to have a team that, that, that accepts any position that they're asked to, to play. And, um, you know, we know that we're undersized. Obviously, Adriel Bailey at six foot six is you know, one of the most undersized centers in, in college basketball, but uh, he does have quick hands. He has quick feet. He's done a great job of fronting the post. And we've really created a lot of our offense through defensive anticipation. And what happens so much, you guys, is, is when a team is small, uh, the opposition tries to take advantage of it. Sometimes they're posting up players that aren't post-up players, and it actually works to our advantage that their primary scores aren't getting touches or shots because they're trying so hard to exploit the mismatches with the height. So uh, that's worked in our advantage on a lot of games so far this year. 
Coach, I, there's an amazing stat out there. All five of your starters have a plus minus and double figures. Can you talk about how this has emerged and really how unlikely it is? Well, you know, I, I, I think, you know, the big thing is just, you know, every time, you know, you step on the floor, you know, how can you contribute? And, um, you know, our starters have done a great job. We, you know, we obviously play them a lot of minutes and I know there's a lot of people that talk, you know, about depth and, um, you know, because we had four players sitting out each of the four years at, at Nevada, we, you know, we, we've kind of gotten used to a smaller rotation and, and, um, you know, even, you know, sometimes a tired Isaiah Joe or a tired Mason Jones is, you know, is, 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 is you still have a talent uh, discrepancy. And, 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 and oftentimes, um, you know, if, if Isaiah is tired, he still is a decoy offensively and, and, and turns the game into a four on four game for us. So, but our starters have done a great job. Jalen Harris has done a great job off the bench. Uh, Reggie Cheney missed those first you know, three games with us. And now he's getting his legs and his wind under him a little bit. He's a contributor off the bench. And, um, you know, still is a guy that, that, that we even started really, really early in exhibition games. And he's a guy that we still need to get his confidence back up. So, um, a long season ahead, certainly it's going to be really important for us to continue to stay out of foul trouble each and every night. Um, as, as well as, uh, try to continue to develop our bench. Coach, uh, with all the offensive exploits, you know, we've been seeing and talking about your defensive efficiency is ninth in the nation. Could you just talk about a couple of things that's made this team so effective and so active on the defensive end of the floor? Yeah, well, so we, you know, it was it was a lot of work in the summer um, trying to trying to get guys to understand, you know, our defensive principles and and um, when we wanted the ga- them to gamble and when we needed them to be disciplined defender as well. Um, they've done an incredible job of, of buying into our uh, system of scouting and how we do our preparations leading up to games. And, um, you know, we, we haven't played any zone, not one second of it. Um, we've done a great job of defending the three-point line, a uh, phenomenal job of, of, of contesting three-point shots and, uh, like I said, I mean, our, our paint defense is, is a little bit better even than the numbers show. Um, but, we, you know, if we could ever become a little bit better defensive rebounding team, I think those numbers can, can improve as well. Uh, pick and roll defense has been pretty good, you guys, but that's a, you know, a pick and roll defense for every team in the country. Uh, as a coaching staff, you're always trying to figure out uh, how you can play post defense better, how you can play your pick and roll defense better. And, and then how are you chasing shooters off of screens? Those are three areas that all coaching staffs and teams are trying to evolve on a daily basis. Well, and coach specifically, you know, we, we mentioned sort of the, the perimeter defense. I know you guys are holding teams to 28 point or 20.8% from three point range. And that is certainly in the top three in the nation. I think it's third right now nationally. Um, what are just maybe the advantages, I guess, because you do, you know, have the opportunity to, to play those four guards at the same time a lot uh, to be able to just have such a, a perimeter presence on defense like you guys have through a lot of games thus far? Yeah, I mean, we just talked about, you know, the, 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 the way that we want to contest and, and, uh, and not giving up airspace to shooters. And, um, and then on the flip side, you know, if a player's 
you know, weaknesses shooting the ball? How do we back off him and try to encourage the opposition uh, to take threes that they might feel uncomfortable? So it's not just crowding the three-point line at all costs. It's, it's understanding who the great shooters are on the opposing team and making those guys um, you know, take shots under duress. And then it's trying to give open threes to guys that, that maybe are low three point percentage shooters and, 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 and then given help in the post off guys that, uh, that are really non shooters. So, um, you know, I think that's been a big key to our, to our defense. And I, I thought defensively, uh, you know, of late, we, we had a little bit of a slippage and then we got back to playing the way that, that we're supposed to play with, with defensive intensity against Tulsa. Uh, last night coach I like the story here of Jimmy Witt you know coming back into the to the fold there in Fayetteville he leads you in rebounding and he, he he's shooting uh, I think around 52 percent how how I guess maybe seamless was the transition for him to come back because you seldom see that yeah I mean it's just unique because you know I'm I'm a new coach and Jimmy basically came you know, uh, very shortly after I was there. And so it, you know, it worked out, you know, really, really well uh, for him and for us. And so while we were implementing our, you know, our system and our style of play, uh, because it was new to everybody, um, you know, Jimmy just kind of, you know, fit in perfectly with us. And, and um, you know, he's a guy that, he's just so unique, you know, the, the, the way the analytics has taken the game, it's all about three point shots and layups and dunks. And Jimmy's an old throwback player. He's an old school player. He's someone that you'd look at in the NBA in the eighties. And, and, and he's a great mid range shooter. He's a great finisher by the rim. He rebounds his position. Last night, he defended the power forward on, on the opposition. He's guarded anybody from one through four, whoever the best player is on the other team. Coach, uh, you do get a, a full seven days off between games here before you play Valpo on the 21st. Um, what are some things you really want to try to stress with your guys here as you go throughout this next week? Yeah, we had a little bit of a break, uh, you know, between our, our loss at, at Western Kentucky and our Tulsa game. And we told the guys really over the next three and a half weeks, because we only play uh, you know, we basically play four games in three and a half weeks. And so we talked to our guys about, Hey, listen, this is going to be like mini training camp. Uh, we had a sample size, you know, through eight games of who we were. Uh, and then we basically play one game a week, uh, for, like I said, three and a half straight weeks. So it's, we got to have a training camp mindset. Uh, we're going to practice really, really long and hard on Monday and Tuesday uh, and then start getting into our preps on Wednesday and Thursday and then taper off and go really light on Friday for Saturday games. So that's kind of been our mentality. And, and uh, that's what we did, the, you know, the, the week leading up to the Tulsa game. And that's exactly what we're going to do for the next two and a half weeks is put our training camp, you know, gear on and, and, and not come in like we're in the middle of a, of a college basketball season. But how can we really, really look to improve now that we know you know, we know where our areas of weakness are. We know where our areas of strength are. How do we accentuate the strengths? And then how do we hide some of our deficiencies that we know we have to get better at? Coach, last thing here. Uh, really good story, you know, surrounding your programs at Nevada and, of course, now Arkansas. Your daughter, Mariah, arrived on the college <laughs> hoop scene 
uh, when you were with the Wolfpack. I remember when you guys played Loyola in the uh, uh, tournament in the Sweet 16, they split the screen with Sister Jean and Mariah, so there was your matchup. <laughs> but <laughs> she she's such a personality. She's been on TV. She's in social media. Talk about uh, how much you and your wife, Danielle, enjoy having her as part of your programs. Yeah, I mean, it's been interesting how – uh, you know, how, how she kind of took off during that NCAA tournament run. And I'll tell you guys a quick story. I, uh, I, 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 when we lost in the sweet 16 to Loyola, uh, we came back and we had about a week and a half or whatever, leading up to the final four. And my wife and always, we always go to the final four and it's kind of a fun time for her to socialize with other coaches, wives and so forth. And, and so she tells me two days before the before the final four, she says, Hey, I need a picture of you because, uh, I, I need to get a credential. And I said, well, wh- what do you mean? You got to get a credential with me. We, we just played the sweet 16. And she said, well, you need one to walk around with your daughter, Mariah, because she's been hired uh, to do all the social media for March Madness. <laughs> and so Mariah did all the interviews that year with Kansas and Michigan and Villanova. And, and uh, so it was really cool. Uh, for her, she loves the limelight. She loves to be involved in that type of stuff. And uh, she was actually did a local news broadcast on Friday morning and had to get up at 5.30 in the morning to make it to, into the studio by 6 a.m. And, you know, she's willing to, to get up early in the morning, miss a couple hours sleep because she loves the media stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, m- myself and my wife and my daughter, we've had fun with social media. Um, you know, the biggest, one of the biggest differences in college and pros is, you know, the college basketball, it's, it's gotta be fun for everybody. It's gotta be fun for the coaches, the players and the families, you know? And, and, uh, so we our, our, our whole family, our staff, we like to try to have as much fun as we can and kind of open up the curtain, uh, to the fans, boosters, media people, uh, and kind of let them get a glimpse of, of, of who we are as a program. Coach, uh, always enjoy catching up with you. Bud Walton uh, has been rocking there. I know it's been exciting for you guys uh, to get started. Uh, lots more games to come here this season. Uh, thanks, as always, for taking the time. I look forward to catching up with you again here soon. Yeah, love listening to your guys' podcast. Keep up the great work. Thanks for having me on. All right, that was the conversation with Arkansas head coach Eric Musselman. And, uh, yeah, what can you say? The Razorbacks uh, feeling pretty good about themselves right now at 9-1. and one. Uh, You heard him mention it, really, the, the strengths that they've had. And uh, just these guards are all playing really well together, and uh, it is. It's a unique sort of setup for them, but they're thriving in it, and 9-1 and one to this point. And that's kind of leads us into the net rankings, which I mentioned a little bit earlier we, we'd sort of dive into here for a few minutes um, because Arkansas is a team where, and I said this to, to people as, as the season has gone along thus far, you know, Arkansas hasn't played a truly what you would call an elite team to this point. Um, the two best teams they played from a Ken Palm perspective are Western Kentucky and Georgia Tech. Of course, we know both those games went to overtime. Arkansas won one of those. They beat Georgia Tech. Uh, they lost to Western Kentucky. But the thing is, too, when you look at it, they haven't really played a terrible team. I think you have to look at it that way because sometimes that can factor into things with, with this whole net ranking when it comes to strength of schedule and all that. Um, so when you look at it f- from that standpoint, I think it's something where they've played a lot of sort of solid type of teams. Now you could say a team like Texas Southern, who I think they're like 270th or something 
in Ken Palm uh, when I was looking at it on there. Yes, but th- that probably has a lot more to do with, with their uh, schedule as well. As we know, Texas Southern is a team who typically pretty much plays all their non-conference games away from home. They actually have a couple of home games uh, here this season. But But that just sort of shows you that Sometimes it's not necessarily about going out and just scheduling, um, you know, team one through ten type of teams in the, in the rankings, and then maybe supplementing that with teams that are ranked 320th or lower or something like that. It's just it all sort of evens out uh, when you look at the schedules, and, and that's the thing for Arkansas. If we do go into these um, net rankings, this is something where I think Arkansas's placement may have surprised a few people, although I don't really think it's all that surprising at all because they came in at 23 in the net right now. Um, Their strength of schedule is 76. Uh, So those are our two interesting sort of aspects for for them right now. Uh, Of course, the the leader in the SEC, and I do think people for some reason were a little bit surprised by the strength of schedule for this team, which of course is Auburn, who came in at number seven in the first set of net rankings. Their strength of schedule is 12th. Um, and yes, everybody was making the jokes on Twitter, replying to the thing I put out when, when it first came out, comparing all the SEC teams and all that. Because yes, there's a lot of people who said, well, Auburn's not played anybody. Well, that's not necessarily true because the, the thing is with Auburn, it goes back to what I just said about Arkansas. Um, the worst team they've played to this point, in Ken Palm at least, is Cal State Northridge who is 2-10. They're ranked 243rd in Ken Palm. Now, as we know, there's sort of uh, some interesting dynamics with that in that Cal State Northridge was a team probably when they were scheduled. Uh, I you know, I did the, the Big West preview for Blue Ribbon Yearbook this year, and they were a team that I picked third and seriously considered picking them second or so in that conference because they did have uh, Lamine Janae, who came in as someone who was averaging 20-plus points a game, uh, averaging a double-double last year, and he hasn't played this season yet for, for Cal State Northridge. So that has sort of led them to be where they are. They're 2-10 on the season, so that doesn't necessarily help having a game like that. But if we take that out of the equation, every other team Auburn has played and beaten, obviously, since they're 9-0, and is 164th or higher in Ken Palm, and they've beaten five different teams who are all in the top 100 in there. So, and that's Davidson, New Mexico, Richmond, Furman, and St. Louis. So, that's what you have to keep in mind here: is it's not necessarily going out and having to play, you know, an ACC power, a Big 12 power, um, you know, Big 10 power. However, you want to look at it, you don't have to load your non-conference schedule with those kind of teams for the numbers to like you. And and I think that's something where you look at it in this scenario where sometimes you just have to play some good teams. If you can sort of add to your schedule with a lot of solid teams uh, that you know are going to be maybe in their, their conference race, going to be right there. And, again, this is all sort of you know situational too. Every season is different. Every coach can go into a season – building a non-conference schedule thinking that it's going to be uh, one way and then it goes the complete opposite way because of you know circumstances outside of their control whether a key player gets injured a key player doesn't play uh, and all those different things so you can't affect what other teams are doing you can only affect what you're doing and that's the thing with Auburn is they've beaten every team on their schedule at this point and they really haven't played uh, as we said aside from maybe Cal State Northridge because they don't have their best player um, aside from that I mean they haven't played what you would consider a bad team uh, they've played a lot of good teams, and uh, these are teams that you expect, whether you know the mid-major ranks and all that, that are going to factor in and have a chance to win their league title. So 
that's a lot of things you have to sort of consider when you look at these numbers. So we looked at that. Auburn, you know, led the way at seven in the net. Arkansas, 23. Uh, going down the line here, all of you guys have seen this, but we'll quickly run through these. Uh, Tennessee at 25, LSU at 26, Ole Miss at 46, Kentucky at 58, Missouri at 73, Georgia at 76, Florida at 78, Mississippi State at 90, Alabama at 96, Vanderbilt at 99, South Carolina at 145, and Texas A&M at 281. Now, there are some things in there that stand out, and we'll go ahead and maybe start with the bad part of this first. Uh, Texas A&M at 281 is something where, I mean, as we said, it was going to be a rebuilding year uh, for this team. We knew that going in, uh, and certainly thus far, you know, and I think it's something you look at, too, with Texas A&M. I mean, they, you know, four of their five losses are, are to good teams. I mean, Gonzaga, Harvard, Temple, and Texas are all good teams. Um, that loss to Fairfield, not so good. Uh, and then the, the problem, too, is that they've really struggled to beat the other teams on their schedule. And the four teams they have beaten to this point, at least in Ken Palm, are all ranked 271st or lower. Uh, That's Northwestern State, Louisiana Monroe, Troy, and Texas A&M Corpus Christi, which, uh, you know, aside from that that game against Northwestern State, uh, who they beat by 14 to start the season, they won those other three games by six points or less. So they're they're just working through some things, not unsurprised. I mean, again, we expected this with Texas A&M. We knew it was going to be a rebuilding uh, situation for Buzz Williams there, and it doesn't help. And I documented this uh, in the Substack. And, you know, if you go over, you guys, if you're listening to the podcast, if you haven't gone and signed up for, for where I'm doing all my writing now, please do that. Uh, Blake Lovell, my name, dot substack, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K.com. Check that out. Subscribe to that. That's where all these new posts, you can get them directly into your inbox for free. Uh, be sure to do that, and I'll give you another plug on that uh, before we finish up this episode. But, uh, you know, with Texas A&M, they're shooting 23.9% from three-point range. That's 349th in the country. So they're in the top five nationally or excuse me, the bottom five nationally uh, in three-point percentage, and that just doesn't help either. So the Aggies right now are are to that point where, you know, let's say you're a bubble team in the SEC as you go down the stretch and you've got Texas A&M on your schedule, and sure, I mean, look, they can always turn things around. It's possible they could get there, um, but it's clear at least going into the SEC play here in a couple weeks they are going to be far and away the team uh, from a number standpoint that you do not want to lose to uh, if you want to build a quality NCAA tournament resume, which a lot of SEC teams still need to do, and and we've documented that too. I mean, I've said it. Uh, you look at some of the stuff I've written there recently on Substack. I mean, it's it's something where there's a lot of teams that need to build better resumes if the SEC is going to get seven teams into the tournament because right now uh, it's a scenario where I could definitely see five or six. Um, and right now, to be honest, I don't really see seven. I think it's going to be pretty hard for the SEC to get to seven. But uh, a lot of games to be played. But as we're saying, I mean, Texas A&M, at 281 right now in the net, their, their strength of schedule is 232. Uh, so that's a team, unless there is you know vast improvement, that's just a team, if you're a bubble team down the stretch, you can't afford uh, probably to to lose a game like that because that one's going to hurt uh, from a numbers perspective. Elsewhere, I think the two teams people have been looking at and saying, wow, look at where they're at, uh, Kentucky and Florida, because they were the two teams we expected to be at the top going into the season. Kentucky at 58 in the net, Florida at 78. Uh, maybe the more noteworthy part of this is strength of schedule. Kentucky's strength of schedule right now, 280th uh, nationally, and that's sort of a that's a weird sort of deal, I think, for a lot of people because you do consider, uh, you know, for, for Kentucky, they did play Michigan State. 
Uh, aside from that, though, they're a team that really, you know, their next best win is Georgia Tech. Um, and so beyond that, they don't really have any, you know, huge noteworthy type of wins because the rest of the teams they've played are sort of uh, in that maybe 250-ish range or lower, uh, somewhere in there. There's a couple teams maybe a little bit higher than that in terms of – and, again, we're all going by Ken Palm here. You guys know I love Ken Palm, but this is just – this is one metric. You can use other metrics. You can compare. You can go, you know, net teams and all that, but we're just going to use Ken Palm because that's what I use the most and I think it's the best tool uh, to evaluate a lot of these team so uh, for Kentucky they just you know because again they have that win against Michigan State other than that they don't really have anything on the resume that stands out at all now as we know the thing is and as many people have pointed out uh, that's going to change because uh, Kentucky's next three games uh, they'll play Utah who from a numbers perspective right now the third best team they've played this season uh, they'll get Utah Wednesday night in Vegas and then comes the two big games that are really going to help Kentucky's uh, strength of schedule uh, they play Ohio State and then they play Louisville in a span of a week so two straight Saturdays they've got Ohio State and they've got Louisville. Those are obviously two big opportunities, and we're not saying this to say that, oh, Kentucky's 280th strength of schedule is going to keep them out of the NCAA tournament. It's just, let's not go there yet, folks. Let's uh, let's not get carried away. And I'll kind of mention why once we go through the rest of these here, but um, there, there's no reason to freak out just yet when it comes to these net rankings. Uh, and then with Florida, you know, their strength of schedule is still really good, and we expected that. Uh, if you compare it to the others here uh, using the NCAAs, you know, metrics and all that, they have the second best strength of schedule. Auburn's is, is obviously number one at 12, but Florida's at 41. Um, and, you know, they're, they're 78th in the net, but that's not surprising because, I mean, look, Florida's lost games, and because they've lost uh, as many games as they've had, I mean, they've lost three games. And so that's something where those kind of add up too. But they do have, you know, two really quality wins, I guess you, you could probably say, with Xavier and Miami. And they're a team, too. They they get more opportunities here. They've got Providence and Utah State coming up this week. So two more chances for them to add to their total uh, of quality wins. And uh, I'm not yet ready to freak out when it comes to Florida. I know a lot of people looked at and said, oh, you know, Missouri, Georgia, those two teams are both ahead of Florida. Uh, I don't think it's time. We're just we're not to that point yet. Remember, we we have only played nine or ten games, whatever, eleven games. Um, we're just we're not we're not even to the midway point yet. So these numbers are simply there to look at and observe. Uh, they are not going to tell us the full story because there's way too much basketball still to be played this season. Uh, if you look at the rest, uh, I don't know that there's anything really huge, uh, you know, that stands out for me. I guess Alabama, uh, who's at 96, uh, that strength of schedule, like I said, is, is something that's still going to help them. Uh, they're at 56th uh, in the strength of schedule, which, uh, again, you compare that to, to other teams, that's third in the SEC behind Auburn and Florida right now. Um, and, and the thing is with Alabama, and I keep telling people this, you know, I've done some some radio stuff there and all that, and Alabama's 4-5, and five, and it's just something where if Alabama – let's say, gets to to 10 wins in the SEC. If they can win these next three games, which is going to be far from a gimme, let's, I mean, let's be honest, they're playing at Sanford, they've got Belmont, and then they've got Richmond. Those are our three games because that one is at Sanford, and then you get Belmont uh, and Huntsville, and then you've got Richmond at home. Uh, those are three games that are not by any means guaranteed wins. Um, but if, for, if if they can get that, let's say they win all three of those games, they go into SEC play uh, at 7-5, and five, 
that that's going to put them in a position, I still think, to where if they're a team that can win, you know, let's say 10 games in the SEC, I don't know, will nine be enough? I'm not sure. And again, and again, it depends on who you beat, too. It, there's lots of different dynamics that, that could go into this because, you know, it's all about can you beat the good teams and can you avoid bad losses? And, and I still think with Alabama, if they're able to at least put themselves in a point to where they have a winning record in SEC play, their strength of schedule is going to be good enough to keep them right there in that conversation. Um, so it may be something where we look at them as four and five right now and think, wow, you know, they've really been a disappointment. But really, aside from that loss to Penn, they don't have any. And, and again, even the one to Penn, I mean, that's not a Kentucky losing to Evansville. That's that's losing to a Penn team that's hovering around 100 or so in Ken Palm. I think they're 108 right now. So these are the things you have to consider. It's as we we've said this year after year. If you can avoid the bad losses, that can almost help you sometimes as much if you can you know, win some good games, if you can beat the teams you're supposed to beat, because then you know you're going to have opportunities in SEC play, and we have to remember this too. The SEC Big 12 Challenge is going to give you another opportunity at a quality win. Now, Alabama's going to play Kansas State this year. Where Kansas State will be at that point, we're not really sure, because those two teams right now are back-to-back in Ken Palm. Ken Palm has Kansas State 79 Alabama at 80. So two very even teams, uh, if you look at it from a ranking perspective. Uh, so I would still just be something with Alabama to keep an eye on. They have to play better if they want to get to 10 wins in the SEC. And again, we're playing hypotheticals on all this because there is so many games still to be played. But it, it's possible that they're going to be in that same mix that they've been in it seemingly for years uh, now where they're going to be right there on that bubble conversation uh, even if they only have you know a certain amount of win, even if they're not to that flashy 20-win mark, which as we, we've said over the past several years, that doesn't mean as much anymore. Uh, even if they don't get to that point, they could still be in the mix. Uh, it just depends on, on how things play out there. But, yeah, otherwise, I mean, again, there, everything else right now, that there's nothing to me that we just look at and you're just completely wowed by or anything um and that's why you know to to bring this sort of uh, back around here we have to remember that i think the strength of schedule is the most important thing to look at right now with this uh because that gives you a bigger picture of who these teams have played and you know what's to come because those are the numbers that that are really going to be a a huge deal here and yes it's Auburn loves to, to be sitting at seven right now. And so it does have some value. But at the end of the day, what it comes down to is if you win games, the numbers will take care of themselves. And and it's really as easy as that. Uh, if you win games, your numbers are going to support that. Like you're going to be fine if you just win games. If you lose games uh, and you lose games to teams you're not supposed to lose to, that's where these numbers get more interesting because – that's where you start saying, okay, well, now we have to compare ourselves to this team or that team, to the five teams in front of us or the five teams behind us in the net if we're sitting here in late February and saying, uh-oh, well, now we've really got to monitor this because we've lost some games we shouldn't lose, and now we've got to find a way to make up some ground somewhere. How does our, you know, how does our strength of schedule compare to this team? Or how does you know, our overall net ranking and all that in terms of all the other SEC teams? So that's when we really get to, to the full importance of this. Uh, the, it's the same thing to, to me, which it's a little bit different. But you know, we, we say this with the polls. It's just if you win games, you'll move up the polls. If you win games, you'll move up the net. Like it's just it's the same sort of deal. Winning takes care of everything, um, you know, to to a certain extent. And so I think it's something where. 
There's no reason to freak out. Yeah, I know a lot of people are making fun of saying Kentucky's going, oh, Kentucky, a 280th straight to schedule and all this, um, almost as if Kentucky's now going to be left out of the tournament or something like that, or as if they're, they're not going to have a chance. It's just not true. Um, but it's just the, these numbers change on a daily basis because of all the other things that are happening around the country. So that's something to keep in mind here. Don't read too much into these just yet. It's a good starting point. Uh, it gives you sort of a good uh, metric to look at when it does come to that strength of schedule because that's something I like to focus on a lot uh, because that is something that will separate you. If you're a bubble team, that is something that will separate you from teams that you're trying to beat out for the you know that final spot or whatever it is in terms of an NCAA tournament bid. So uh, that's at least something that we're starting to look at and, and see that there is some truth to, to some of this and there is some myth to some of this, uh, kind of like we said with Auburn, uh, people thinking, Auburn hasn't played anyone well from a numbers perspective that's simply not true because they are in the top 15 in strength of schedule um so there you go those are the net rankings right now they will change uh, every single day uh based on what happens around in other conferences and where we see the most significant change will be when SEC play starts because you have teams playing each other and then you know pretty much if team A beats team B Team A is going to have a chance to move up. Team B is going to have a chance to move down. And then that starts to move everybody uh, all over the place to, to get us closer to uh, which teams could you know, eventually get into the NCAA tournament. So uh, you can check that out. The NCAA's got it on their website. You can look through the entire you know deal. I mean, they have all the numbers. You can look one through whatever and check out uh, the full numbers, the quadrant one wins, quadrant two wins, and all that. We didn't go into those just yet because, as I said, I mean, we've only played – nine or ten games there's no reason to, to completely start uh just going you know immersing ourselves in quadrant wins because uh you know yes some of these teams do have quality wins but they'll have a chance to have a lot more you know high quadrant one quadrant two wins uh once you start sec play because you're playing each other uh and so we'll get more into that as the season rolls along uh as for the slate this week uh you know kind of a, an interesting slate of games and more important games as we continue to say uh because it's something where, as I mentioned, SEC teams need some quality wins. Florida play Providence uh, on Tuesday. Uh, that should be, you know, uh, that's another chance for Florida to, to pick up a, a quality win. As I said earlier, uh, Wednesday slate pretty loaded. Uh, Vanderbilt is uh, playing Loyola Chicago. That game actually in Phoenix. ETSU at LSU. That is the game for me to really keep an eye on. I, you guys know I'm pretty high on Steve Forbes at ETSU. He's done a really good job. I think eventually he'll be a coach in the SEC. Uh, where, who knows, but he's just good enough uh, to eventually get there. He'll, even if it's not the SEC, he'll be a he'll be a coach in a power conference sooner rather than later. So that's a tricky test uh, for LSU there. Uh, Tennessee plays uh, at Cincinnati. That's a, certainly a, an interesting matchup. We mentioned Alabama and Sanford. Radford, Mississippi State, Kentucky, and Utah, as we said, in Las Vegas uh, there on that one. Uh, If you look ahead to Thursday night, that's a big game for Auburn as they will host NC State. Um, We remember that game last year. Uh, That was one where Auburn went in and certainly you felt like that they uh, had a chance to to go in and win that game, and I think that was the one where they, you know, they lost that game. Maybe I don't remember point wise what it was, but I do remember they had a ton of turnovers uh, in that one. I want to say it was like twenty five or something uh, turnovers in that game. But uh, a chance here for Auburn to to keep their winning streak uh, going here, and uh, certainly won't be easy. But uh, that is, you know, another chance for Auburn uh, to pick up a, a nice win there on Thursday. Georgia plays SMU. 
on Friday, and then you look at Saturday's slate. Uh, that is a loaded one. Tennessee, Jacksonville State, Missouri, and Illinois. As we know, that's always a big rivalry game uh, and certainly a nice opportunity for Missouri. Ole Miss plays Southeast Louisiana. Uh, Florida plays Utah State, another tricky type of game for Florida because Utah State, we've seen, has already beaten LSU this year. Um, Alabama-Belmont, there's a tricky game for Alabama because uh, Casey Alexander doing a great job at Belmont thus far. Kentucky and Ohio State, we talked about that earlier. Auburn plays Lehigh. Arkansas plays Valpo, Vanderbilt, UNC Wilmington. Texas A&M, Oregon State, and LSU and USC. That's an intriguing one. Uh, there, another one for, for the Tigers uh, in there. And then Sunday, South Carolina at Virginia. Uh, South Carolina picking up a really nice win at Clemson. Uh, this one's going to be a little bit tougher going on the road against ACC competition. And you, you think about going up against that defense. Uh, that's really going to test Frank Martin's group. But it was nice for them to get that win against Clemson. Uh, And then New Mexico State and Mississippi State. New Mexico State, a team that I was very high on coming into the year, and certainly I know Auburn fans remember them from that first-round matchup in last year's NCAA tournament. They're 6-6 to start the year, which is not exactly where we expected New Mexico State to be. I know they've dealt with some injury situations uh, and all that, but uh, still a team that's capable of winning, you know, beating quality teams. And so it's one that I don't think Mississippi State's going to necessarily – be able to to look beyond. I mean, they're going to have to be ready to play in that one. Uh, Christian's really good coach, uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's the slate uh, for the rest of the week here in the SEC. So uh, be sure to uh, circle the games that you want to see. Lots of good ones. Uh, and as we said, I mean, really, you, you look at this entire schedule which we went through. There's a lot of opportunities here. This is where you have to really, you know, pick up these types of wins because we are for most teams only three or so games away from the start of conference play on January the 4th. So uh, this is a big, big week for teams uh, around the league that who really need to try to beef up their resumes a little bit. Uh, and they'll certainly have their opportunities to do that uh, with some of the games on the schedule. So, all right, uh, that'll wrap up uh, this episode of the podcast. Uh, as always, be sure you subscribe. Head over to Apple Podcasts uh, or any podcast app you use. You can subscribe to Southeast Hoops for there. Get all these episodes sent to you for free. Uh, of course, you can also subscribe directly through my page on Substack now, which I keep promoting, trying to get you guys uh, to sign up for free, and a lot of you already have. And, again, I, I appreciate that. Uh, you can find that at Blake Level, my name, dot substack s-u-b-s-t-a-c-k dot com all you have to do is put that into your browser uh click on that that'll take you right to the page all you have to do is throw your email address in there uh, you can before you even do it if you want to get an idea of what i'm posting you can do that you don't have to put your email in you can read the stuff for free right away uh and you can continue to read for free uh, because it will be sent directly to your inbox so throw your email in there um, that way you don't miss anything that, that i do post whether it's a podcast whether it's written stuff you can all check that out, and you can get it all directly in your inbox. It's the easiest way to keep up with everything that I'm doing SEC basketball-related. Yes, a lot of you guys may follow me on Twitter, but uh, because there's just so much going on on Twitter, you know, you may not see some of the stuff that I publish because there's 18,000 other things that you're seeing as you scroll through. Uh, so the best way to do that, direct to you uh, through your email, throw your email address in there. It's free, and uh, you can sign up, get everything that I do SEC basketball-related sent directly to your email. So be sure to check that out uh, as well. And follow me on Twitter, at the Blake Level, uh, for more SEC basketball stuff. So uh, thanks, as always, for listening, and I will talk to you guys next time.